here is the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Radio Program. I am Jason Whitlock, sitting in for Glenn Beck. Christmas present number two from Glenn Beck. It's the same as Christmas present number one. I was here yesterday. We talked about my candidacy to run Twitter, to be the new CEO of Twitter. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, Today, I'm going to get myself into trouble. I'm going to talk about the feminization of America and the uprooting of the natural order and male leadership and why we need more of it. Uh, I'm going to invite you to engage with me. It's going to be a fantastic Tuesday. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Let's kick back and enjoy today's show. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. Happy Tuesday. Uh, Welcome to the Glenn Beck radio program. We're going to have a marvelous show today. You're going to be the guest stars of today's show. Yesterday, when I filled in for Glenn, uh, we invited on uh, TJ Moe from my program, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We invited in Royce White, contributor to my program, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. You can find my show, and I suggest that you do. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock to find the Fearless show it's on blaze tv it's everywhere uh podcasts are available but today i'm going to pivot and i'm not going to feature contributors from my show i want to feature you in a conversation i want to have over the next three hours about the elimination of resistance and the softening of america and whether or not i'm just an old fart or whether or not I'm just some misogynist pig that's completely bothered by the feminization of American culture. Those of you that are are new to me and don't know my background, I, I come from the sports world and have transitioned. I was a sports media personality for ESPN and Fox Sports and made really made my name in Kansas City during the 90s and early two during the 90s and 2000s uh, for the Kansas City Star writing about sports. But I always lace my sports commentary with a lot of cultural commentary and being a culture critic while being a sports columnist. I played college football. I went to uh School. I was the only reason I was able to go to college was because of a football scholarship to Ball State University. So my background is sports. I came out of college to be a sports journalist and was a well-known, nationally renowned sports columnist that ended up working at the highest profile places and doing jobs for ESPN and Fox Sports and had my own TV show on Fox Sports, Speak for Yourself. And, And then as things got crazier and crazier and crazier, I felt a calling to lace more of my commentary with uh, analysis of popular culture and political culture and American society 
And so I, I say all that and give you that context to say that the foundation of my commentary and the conversation we're going to have today starts with my love of football and my hatred of what football has become. I know Glenn Beck is not much of a sports fan, and so I would imagine his audience isn't hardcore sports fans or don't know a lot about sports. But but I just want to start there, and I'm going to broaden it and widen it because you can see it clearly, and I've been thinking about this a lot when I watch NFL football, in particular college football. I've seen the whole sport changed and softened and and it's not the game that I fell in love with. And and when I look and see that, it's a perfect analogy for what's going on in America. We've softened and changed American culture so much, we've turned the culture, popular culture, into something that wasn't what I fell in love with about America. America was a rough and tumble place. America was a place that didn't apologize for leaning into the meritocracy. America was a place that didn't apologize and, and, and rewarded men for taking risks, women for taking risk. And, and now everything seems to be about the elimination of risk or under the guise of eliminating risk. And, and I, 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 Obviously, if you're listening, you can already start knowing where I'm going to go in the broader culture. In ter- hey, everybody take a vaccine. Let's eliminate risk. I did not take the vaccine. I'm older. I'm overweight. But I'm a believer in God, and I'm a believer in God's immunity system. And something about the vaccine just didn't add up f- to me and for me. The quickness with which it was done, the immunity granted, the big pharma institutions, and then just knowing that, look, hold on, who's going to beat God's design? And if I take steps to protect myself and give God's design a better chance of operating, uh, perhaps that's a better protection than the vaccine and all these quick fixes that America prescribes for every problem. Hey, there's an easy solution. Pop this pill, take this vaccine, do this, do that, do this. Instead of treating your body better and and taking the tougher route, we're always looking for the easier route now in American society, and I don't think it's healthy and good. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to start working out more regularly. I'm a former college athlete. I know how to work out. And I was going to start eating better. And I was going to start losing weight. Because as I evaluated what was going on with the vaccine and everything, it just seemed people that were overweight and had pre-existing conditions, those were the people being harmed. Remove yourself as best you can from that category. And I'm still in the process of losing weight. I've lost about 80, 90 pounds so far. I want to lose another 50 but that was my reaction to COVID, the pandemic. Don't look for the easy route. And America has been trained to look for the easy route. And we, we, we think safety is our number one priority. 
And I completely disagree with that. I understand why women place safety at such a high value. And that's when I'm talking about the feminization of everything. And I can see it in football. We're prioritizing the needs of women above the needs of men. And I'm just not sure if this is the proper solution, if it's the right way to go. Life is supposed to be tough. It's supposed to be a challenge. It's supposed to be difficult. It will make you a better person meeting those challenges head on. I see it in football every Sunday when I watch the NFL. The game that used to be very tough is now being made so that Tom Brady at age 45 can still play in the NFL. Tom Brady is a great football player. But if not for the softening of the game, Tom Brady would have had to retire 10 years ago. They've changed all the rules and cha- around the quarterback and around hitting each other in football. They've made the game so, so much easier that Tom Brady at age 45 is still playing in the NFL. If Tom Brady played football in the 1970s, he would have retired by 1983. 84, 85, he would have, instead of a 23-year career, he would have had a 16-year career because the game would have physically taxed him so much, he would have been forced to retire. But they've softened the game in the name of safety, in the name of making mothers comfortable with their sons playing football. They created the myth of CTE which is basically the COVID of football, the myth of CTE, and everybody just ignoring the obvious facts around, well, hold on, man. If this CTE, if this concussion thing was so bad and everybody was at risk for it and every concussion leads to CTE, why aren't all the football players from the 1960s, 70s, the 1950s, why aren't they all? dying, gone crazy, lost all their cognitive skills. Why aren't they all? Why why is Terry Bradshaw still on television? He played football in the 1970s. He suffered concussions. Why is Troy Aikman, who played in the 80s and 90s, why is he still on TV, full faculties, one of the best broadcasters in the NFL? They created this myth of CTE to soften the game and to make it more safe and to make women feel more comfortable while watching it. And it's not the same game. The degree of difficulty has been eliminated from football and the product isn't nearly as good. The degree of difficulty has been removed in America and America is not as good. That's the conversation I want to have with you all today. I want to invite you all to call into the show, 1-888-727-2325. You will be the guest stars of this show today. I want to engage with you. I want you to, I want you to push back against me. If I say something stupid, I want you all to correct me. I'm Jason Whitlock, filling in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck Radio Program. I'll be back after this. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. Yesterday, I tweeted out that NFL officiating is at an all-time low because 
they've prioritized diversity, inclusion, and equity over the meritocracy. Anybody that watches the NFL, there's been all these poorly officiated games week in and week out. The NFL has always had an officiating problem. It's just gotten worse over the last few years as the league has prioritized diversity, inclusion, and equity. No one talks about it. Everyone does complain about officiating. Strange things are going on. Just blown calls. Everything is not as good, not as clean, not as sharp as it used to be. Everyone knows this. No one wants to talk about the root cause. Women have popped up as NFL officials in virtually every game. You, you, you'll, I don't know where they're coming from. I, I don't want to. And maybe they're all fantastic. But you can't tell me they all earned it. These positions are being given away. I'm going to go a step further. We're on radio only. You can't see me. Maybe you're unaware. I'm black. There are more black officials than ever. And this is because of the NFL's trying to meet quotas on female referees, black referees. And so what happens when you prioritize diversity, inclusion, and equity, and merit plays no role, everybody's work suffers. Everybody, one, you're, you make mistakes and you promote people that are unqualified, that haven't earned it. The people that have earned it are frustrated and bothered and are less focused and less incentivized to perform at a high level because their performance doesn't matter. Their gender matters. Their skin color matters. Roger Goodell and Troy Vincent, his Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL. Troy Vincent's his number two lieutenant. Troy Vincent's a former black NFL player who who's in charge of the officiating and overseeing the officials. He's handing out these assignments not based on merit, not based on production and performance but based on some type of quota system and some kind of look of diversity that the NFL wants to create. And so the NFL is bending over backwards for female referees and black referees, and the quality of officiating has suffered. Again, this goes back to we're leaning out of the meritocracy. We're leaning out of people earning things. We're leaning out of resistance. We want things to be easier. Oh, you're owed this. Let's give it to you. You're not owed anything. This world owes you nothing but an opportunity to work hard and to earn something. We are softening this society in every way possible, and it's unhealthy. And so when you look out at the sports leagues, take the NBA, it's softer. It's not as good. They've softened all the rules. Play, I looked last week, there were 
and again, I don't want to go too far with this audience because I know you're not hardcore sports fans, but I looked last week. There were six players in the NBA averaging 30 points or better. That does not happen in the NBA. Scoring 30 points a game used to be a rare feat. Someone to be able to average that for a season, that was a rare feat. Maybe one or two guys would do it a year, not six. They've made the games easier. They've removed the resistance. The quality of play has suffered. The results aren't as good. It's not as entertaining. They're having to do all kinds of false things to make the games seem more competitive. We've prioritized the matriarchy. Adam Silver the commissioner, the NBA, has gone on record and stated last week that he wants a female head coach in the NBA within the next five years. He's already been on record that he wants half, half of the league's officials to be women during his term as commissioner. We're bending over backwards for the matriarchy. We're building a world that removes the degree of difficulty and prioritizes quotas and safety. You can see it in the sports world. You can see it in the political world. You can see it throughout the rest of society. America does not prioritize greatness anymore. People that don't appreciate the work and the suffering and the sacrifice that it took to build this country. What men did and what women supported to make this country great, people don't value, don't respect. They think technology is going to save us and disrupt God's natural order. I don't care if you can go to DoorDash and get a meal. Now, you don't have to go out and hunt and fish for it. You're not going to disrupt God's natural order. We will pay a huge price, and we are paying a huge price for prioritizing the matriarchy. I got more on this. Stay tuned. The Glenn Back Program. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. We're just five days away from Christmas. I know you're excited. I am. I've got some last minute shopping to do. Going to take care of that today. Uh, you guys are my co-stars today. 1-888-727-2325 is the phone number to call. I want you to push back. I'm trying to unpack a conversation today about where we're headed as a society. I can see it in the sports world. You can see it in the mainstream popular culture world. You can see it in the steps we're taking as we try to make life easier for everyone. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. And this push to make life easier for everyone is basically a feminist push. If we remove the degree of difficulty, if we prioritize safety above everything else, that's a world that makes sense for the feminists. 
it does not make sense for those of us that believe in God's natural order, man, woman, child, family. This safety priority, removing the degree of difficulty, makes weaker men and a weaker society. It's why, it's why they, as they remove the degree of difficulty, they try to normalize being fat, and they call it fat shaming, and they call it body positivity. And that's why you'll see they'll make commercials about 300-pound women and how hot they are. And it's why they've decided that Lizzo is the biggest star since Aretha Franklin. They want to normalize being obese and fat. And I'm someone who has suffered from a weight problem. I'm not throwing rocks from afar. I'm not I'm in a very glass house. I'm overweight. This should not be normalized. This should not be seen as body positivity. We should be pressuring people and we should be living in a culture that rewards people for staying in shape. We keep leaning into the matriarchy, and I talk about this constantly on my show. As a black person, I tell my audience and and try to educate people like, hey, black people, we have created a matriarchal, female-dominated culture. Stacey Abrams is our leader. Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, our leader. Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, our leader. Go look at our culture. In this matriarchal culture we've built, our kids are underperforming academically. They're not closing the educational gap. Our kids are unsupervised and violent towards each other. Our kids are uh, addicted to this hip hop, very misogynistic, very violent, very denigrating culture. Our men have turned emotional and not logical. Because we're, our, our, you know, and this for me from the sports world, I just look out at the athletes and I look at what they're doing to their hair. It's like they spent their whole life in a beauty shop rather than a barber shop. This, this feminine culture that America wants to spread and is spreading everywhere, it has really harmful ramifications don't let the democrats do to our entire society what they have done to black people we don't want that it's not healthy it's not good all right i told you guys you're the guest stars 1887272325 I want to take some of your phone calls, see if I'm saying anything stupid. I'm going to get deeper into this and cite some more examples here in a second. But before that, I want to hear from you guys. Mike in Tennessee, 
Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I want to totally agree with you on the sports take, um, like especially uh, NBA, like some of the 80, 80s guys I grew up with, Bill Lambeer, he couldn't even play in the NBA anymore. So I totally agree, kind of just NFL, NBA, totally different sports nowadays, whether they changed it for what you said, uh, feminization, or whether maybe they changed it to create more offense. It's just completely different game. Um, the one thing I do want to push back, on you is kind of how you translate it to politics. Um, if I could have a minute on that. Go ahead or keep wasting time or go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just on the sports take, I, I think the Republican Party has to look in the mirror. I mean, to go on your sports take, we got to get back to more constitutional conservatism. And I think kind of on the sports take, you know, with Trump, you know, sore loser, can't admit he lost. You know, that, that's not a good look. And we got to get away from that. If he keeps going with that, I mean, it's it's counter to your meritocracy argument. Mike, 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 I, I respect you having that opinion. I want you to explain to me, however, do you think Trump lost that election on the up and up? Um, I mean, look, I, <laughs> I'm, do you think that election was fair? Jason, he 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 said his whole even in the primaries against Ted Cruz, he said uh, it was stolen from him. Every time he's lost an election, he said it's been stolen. Well, he's only yeah, lost he one lost. that I'm aware of now. In my opinion, he choked. You can't lose Arizona, Mike. 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 That's Florida. not what I asked. I and come on, yeah, you I see what they did lost. to Kerry Lake on the up. You think that election was fair and square? I'm going to be honest. I don't. I'm not following Arizona politics. Um, I do think she lost. I have no idea. I mean, but good lord. I mean, I was talking about Trump. But Mike, thank you for the phone. I don't mean. I'm not trying to be dismissive. I appreciate the phone call. But Mike, I'm not going to defend Trump. But I'm also not going to defend the 2020 election. I'm just not going to do it. That they fortified that election in their own words. We're looking at the Twitter files that Elon Musk has revealed, the FBI, the Department of Justice, Democratic officials manipulating Twitter, the Hunter Biden story, the whole nine yards. I I don't have a real problem with Trump whining about that election. It was stolen. And the American people need to deal with it. We just want to keep moving on from everything. And never deal with anything. It's no different than if we went back to the 1960s and and what happened to JFK. Ah, We're just going to let bygones be bygones. And here we are 60 years later, and there still has been no real plausible explanation of what happened with our president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, in Dallas. That, that that assassination changed the course of American history and turned, and, and we're looking at clear evidence now that the security state, that the uh, government agencies, the FBI, the CIA, the military-industrial complex, in charge of America, in charge 
of a propaganda tool like Twitter, manipulating the American public. All because we buried our head in the sand and didn't want to deal with the reality of what happened to John Kennedy. And so right now, no, hey, let's just move on. We're not going to deal with the reality of what happened in the 2020 election and what happened to Carrie Lake in the 2022 midterm elections. I'm just not sure if just moving on works. You know what they say about a criminal? Every time he gets away with a crime, he gets more bold. And he gets more comfortable. These guys are getting away with crimes, and we're just moving on. And I'm not telling Trump to, to, to keep whining about it, but I'm not going to criticize him for whining about it. Our elections need to be secure and fair. We don't need ballot harvesting. We don't need mail-in ballots dropped off at 3 a.m. We need one-day elections where people show their IDs and prove that they're American citizens, prove that they're not dead, and prove that they actually want to vote and not that their aunt or uncle or mama or daddy twisted their arms and made them fill out some ballot voting for who they want. Mike sent me off on one. I'm going to take some more of your phone calls when we come back. Stay tuned. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. 1-888-727-2325 is the phone number to call. You're my co-stars today, Paul in Massachusetts. Paul, be quick, but don't hurry. Yep. Uh... Hello, Jason. I initially wanted to talk uh, about your uh, football comments. As soon as you started talking about Tom Brady's age, I said, wait a minute. What about George Blanda from uh, the 1970s? He played for the Raiders. Yeah, George was mostly a kicker, played some quarterback. Yeah, he was but... mostly a kicker, but he, there was a real famous game where the starting quarterback got hurt. And Blanda had to come in and play quarterback. And he ended up winning the game uh, for the Raiders. And everybody went nuts, the team, the fans, everybody. And Blanda retired at, they listed him as a quarterback and a place kicker on the um, biography. And uh, All right. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, Karen, Karen in Georgia. Welcome to the Glenn Beck radio program. Hi, Jason. I just want to tell you that I have a lot of admiration for you of how you project your faith and bring it into modern day terms, I guess. And I am with you. I think Trump needs to stay on it, whether, you know, he's whining about it, because if we keep letting this go on, it just becomes normal and we've got to stop what the FBI is doing, what the CIA is doing, what the politicians that we put in to office. I, I mean, I'm ready to go back to where they only met in session for two times a year and they didn't get paid. That may be a solution. <laughs> That's, that certainly would limit what, they, what harm they could do. Uh, Karen, thank you for the phone call. Great job. 
Aaron in Alabama. Aaron, be quick, but don't hurry. That's fine. I am an underground coal miner in the state of Alabama, and I work in a 100% male-dominated industry for the most part. We do have some women that do come to work in our industry that do get involved in working in the underground coal mining fields, but very, very few of them are capable of getting out there and doing what a man can do physically, and they just can't. That doesn't stop them from trying, and that doesn't stop them from coming down there to work, and it doesn't mean that they aren't down there. It's just eventually they have to accept the fact that there are some things that they just can't do. Now, put them on a piece of heavy equipment, put them over a very important situation where they can keep an eye on things, they're great. But more often than not, I hate to admit, they tend to get in the way, and Aaron, like Aaron, Aaron, I would love to know if your coal mining company has a diversity, inclusion, and equity department that would like to send women underground to mine coal. Perhaps that would improve things. Are, are, are women not looking for that diversity and inclusion mining coal? Oh, they had, they supposedly spout off about it if you go and look at the company itself, but... <laughs> If they show up down there to work, they don't do very well in that environment. It is a very hard and unforgiving place to work in. Huh. I, well, perhaps we need some diverse. Maybe some of these feminists uh, need to work there. Maybe we can get AOC or something to take a coal mining job, and she can be the le- a pioneer in diversity and make history mining coal with you guys in, uh, in Alabama. She could try. Sure, I love to see them come down there and try. They wake up to the realities very quickly. It doesn't take long. Aaron, thank you for the phone call. Robert, you're going to have to be very quick without hurrying. Oh, thank you, Jason, for taking my call. I appreciate your voice. Um, I'm not a real big, huge football fan, and I I struggle to watch the game as well. But I will say this on a light note that um, I remember when Ohio State was playing, I think it was Notre Dame, and it was at the end of the game, and DJ Stroud is trotting off the field, and the reporter is... Robert, we got to go. I'm sorry, you had to be quick without hurrying. Got to kill the pleasantries. All right, don't go anywhere. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck Radio Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck Radio Program. Stay tuned. In this hour, I'm going to talk to you about Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, saying January 6th, uh, biggest attack, attack on democracy since the Civil War. I'm going to tell you about Lynette Colophany Cox complaining about Elon Musk. Stay tuned for that. And uh, Stanford is passing laws about harmful language. I'll get into that. The softening of America. Jason Whitlock sitting there for Glenn Beck. A great second hour coming to you shortly. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. I am Jason Whitlock, the host of Fearless with Jason Whitlock on Blaze TV. You can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. I want to start here in the second hour 
a woman by the name of Lynette Colafani Cox. Uh, she calls herself uh, the money coach on Twitter. She's blue checked. Uh, she's let, let's her bio says personal finance expert, speaker, author of the New York Times bestseller Zero Debt. Seen on Oprah, Today, Dr. Phil, CNN, MSNBC, Dr. Oz, The Talk. Uh, this is a very, very accomplished uh, black woman in America. Here's what she tweeted out about Elon Musk. Could anyone besides a white male billionaire like Elon Musk even think about running a major publicly traded business on the basis of a poll. The Twitter CEO is called eccentric, a maverick, genius, etc. But if a woman did this, she'd be irrational and promptly fired. That tweet has uh, 31,000 likes, nearly 4,000 retweets. Yesterday, I tried to tell you all about why Twitter needs an editor and why I would be the perfect CEO uh, for Twitter and, and I, how Twitter is a propaganda tool and it's used by the alphabet mafia uh, to affect change and the alphabet mafia, LGBTQ, silent P uh, slash BLM. There's this other wing of feminist. I, I, they're part of the alphabet mafia and Lynette is, is part of that feminist movement. She, she may be part of the other elements of the alphabet mafia as well, BLM and maybe even the LGBTQ. She's been seen everywhere. She's an expert. She's got a New York Times bestseller. But the, the reason why I say Twitter needs a editor is because there's, there's little resistance on Twitter for the kind of stupidity uh, tweeted out here by Lynette. And, and Twitter is, and again, I, I don't know the gender breakdown over Twitter, but there's virtually nothing that a black woman could say over Twitter that would get the kind of rebuke necessary to stop the foolishness because Lynette's been uh, defending ever since she put this tweet out uh, yesterday around 8 p.m. Or no, I'm sorry, this is two days ago around 8 p.m. She's been defending it. Because one, Twitter is not a publicly traded company. Elon Musk bought it. It's privately owned. He paid $44 billion for it. So she's just wrong on that count. And then two, this whole little, oh, false equivalency of, of uh, a white male billionaire like Elon Musk is the only one. She's talking about Elon putting up a poll saying, should I step down as CEO? And he did that by poll. Should we reinstate all these accounts? He did that by poll. And, and somehow, if this were a woman, no one would call them a genius, a maverick, eccentric. This is just stupidity. Because... If a woman, and I'm not saying she can't, but if a woman builds a rocket ship, if she, if she operates Tesla, that whole electric car deal, and becomes the richest person on the planet, 
They're, they're not going to be second guessed. They're going to be called a genius. They're going to be called a maverick and eccentric. That are, are, are Oprah is not one of, you know, she is one of the richest people in the world, but she's not in Elon's category. But Oprah can do whatever she wants. And no one cr- dares criticize her. And Oprah does stupid things like every other human on the planet. Everybody does things that could qualify them as a maverick or eccentric. This is the kind of stupidity that's pervasive throughout social media. And again, this woman, despite being called out for like, hey, Twitter's not even a public, it's not a publicly traded company. It's a privately owned business. Even when called on all, called out on that will not back down will not delete the tweet will not admit hey this is just a stupid false equivalency this is irrational on my part won't do it doesn't have to she wants to talk about elon musk privilege she has privilege being black and being a woman and who knows? I, I don't know. Maybe alternative lifestyle. Who, who knows? But she's just being a woman and being black. She has privilege to say dumb stuff over social media without repercussions. She's getting some repercussions right now because I'm an idiot and I don't care uh, that I'm politically incorrect and say things that you're not supposed to say. But this woman's an idiot. And her Idiocy is rewarded and justified and promoted and backed up and supported over social media because she's a black woman. If a man, particularly a heterosexual man of any color, tweeted out this type of stupidity and and reversed the races and said, uh... Snoop Dogg makes uh, music that denigrates black people. Snoop Dogg makes music that is satanic, but somehow he gets to perform at halftime of the Super Bowl. He's a a product pitch man that's on all these uh, television commercials all over our television airwaves, and he's promoted as a hero. Only a black man could get away with being a member of a criminal gang organization, have a, having escaped a murder charge, making music that denigrates black people, women, and everybody else, makes music that is satanic. Only a black man has the privilege of doing all of that and then being, and being celebrated as a hero. If someone tweeted that out, they would cost themselves their job. They certainly would cost themselves their standing. They would be called a racist and ran out of polite society, even though they would be standing on far more truth than what Lynette is standing on. But as I've been talking about today, we have eliminated resistance. It's impolite to challenge people. 
It's impolite to tell people you're just dead wrong and you sound like an idiot here. Delete this tweet. You can say that to a white man. You can say that to a black conservative Christian man. But that's about it. Everybody else has privilege. Everybody else has a little safe space that they exist in that anything they say can't be challenged, can't be rebuked or you're homophobic, you're ableist, you're racist, you're misogynistic, you're something, you're transphobic, you're something terrible and negative. Lynette is likely just an idiot. That, that's probably her only crime. And, and it's, she's an example of why Twitter needs an editor. And again, not that her tweet needs to be deleted, but we need to create an environment where Lynette actually had to think about what she said or was going to say before tweeting it. But we don't like that kind of resistance in America. We, we, we're creating all of these safe spaces from harmful language. When we come back after this very short break, I'm going to talk about the harmful language that they're outlawing at Stanford University, one of our highest institutions of education. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. Stanford, this is a story uh, on foxnews.com. Stanford releases guide to eliminate harmful language. Cautions against calling U.S. citizens American. They've released a guide to eliminate harmful language. Cautions against calling U.S. citizens American. This is not a story from the onion. This is real life. Stanford University published an index of harmful language. It plans to eliminate from the school's websites and computer code, offering terms to be used as replacements. The Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative, which was revealed in May, is a multi-phase, multi-year project to address harmful language in IT at Stanford, according to the guide. The guide says its goal is to eliminate, eliminate many forms of harmful language, including racist, violent, and biased, e.g., disability bias, ethnic bias, ethnic slurs, gender bias, implicit bias, sexual bias language. In Stanford websites and code, it added that it strives to educate people on the impact of words. There are 10 harmful language sections outlined in the index, ableist, ageism, colonialism, <laughs> culturally appropriative, gender-based, imprecise language, institutionalized racism, person-first, violent, and additional considerations. <laughs> Among the words the university urges people to avoid in the imprecise language section is the term American. People are instead asked to use U.S. citizen because American typically refers to people from the United States only, thereby insinuating that the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas. This is what we've done, and this is where I need to be careful, and this is where I want your help, particularly 
uh, if some ladies want to call in and help me, help me with my misogyny or just my biblical view of the natural order and belief in male leadership, I, I, I believe this bending over backwards we're doing for, to make everyone feel safe and have a safe space where their feelings are heard and appreciated is because we're bending over backwards for women and to make this world feel safe for women. And that's what's creating the chaos and the anarchy and the disrespect and the actual lack of safety that we now feel. In these matriarchal paradises we built in urban black America, no one actually feels safe. If you look at our country as we keep bending over more and more backwards to respect everyone's feelings and words are harmful, use my proper pronoun. Look at the chaos that we are creating. We're having debates about what a man and what a woman is if there are more than two genders. We're having debates about men with balls using women's bathrooms. We're having criminals declare their gender dysphoria so they can be transferred into a female prison and they're impregnating prisoners. This whole safety first movement, this whole, oh, let's bend over and make the world better for women that we're doing, it does not work. We need a natural order that God prescribed that makes perfect common sense. We need the degree of difficulty put back in all endeavors. Making the world easier is making life harder. Harmful. I talk about it virtually every day. But as we move further and further away from biblical values, things get worse. They don't get better. When we move away from sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. And now we believe words harm Stanford University, allegedly one of our premier institutions of higher education. Words are now harmful. The, the phrase, the idiom, the adage that sticks and stones may break my bones. That and I talked about this last week on my show. You guys should be watching, listening to my show. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I talked about this last week. Sticks and stones. That adage was originated in the Christian recorder, a newspaper for the African Methodist 
Episcopalian church. The church started by Richard Allen, an African-American in like the 1600s. That newspaper, the Christian Recorder, in 1862 wrote the adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never break me. About a decade later, it was changed to words would never harm me. But it's a Christian value that words don't matter. What God thinks of me is what matters, not your words. This was during slavery, 1862, a black Christian newspaper understood it don't matter what you call me. Will not harm me. It's a Christian value because they believe Jesus Christ was their Lord and personal savior. The most high ruled over everything. Your words don't matter to me. As we move away from that and create a world that is so focused on feelings, words now have of great importance. What man says about you takes priority over what God says about you. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. The Glenn Beck program. one 727 2325 is the phone number to call. one 727 2325 You guys are my co-stars today. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. We're talking about America and the entire world bending over backwards for the feminist movement, the alphabet mafia, and just the softening of culture and, and how we're just giving in and prioritizing feelings and how we're moving away from a biblical worldview and all those principles that made this country great and made the world better and actually provided us the safety that we're actually looking for. But now that we've moved to building the whole world, basing the whole world based around feelings, we have nothing but chaos. And so if a man with balls, a wife and kids wakes up and decides, hey, I'm really a woman. That's I feel like a woman. We're building a world where everybody, oh, he feels that way, so I must act that way. I have to remove myself from reality and pretend that Bruce Jenner is Caitlyn Jenner. That's a world based on feelings, not on reality, not on any sort of truth. It's a world based on feelings. It's a very dangerous place to build a world based around feelings. It doesn't promote safety. It makes everyone's life more dangerous. I'll give you an example. We all decided based on feelings that oh, the police force, law enforcement is randomly killing black men. The stats say otherwise in overwhelming fashion. 
the stats actually say America is the safest place on the planet for a black person. The stats are overwhelming. The proof is overwhelming. The number of black people from all over the world, the number of people of color that will beat down doors and do anything they can to get into America says otherwise. But we allowed a false narrative to be built based on feelings. LeBron James feels like a black man can't go anywhere in this country without being killed. That's a feeling. It's a fake feeling even. But we had riots and murders and looting and arson sweep this entire country based on a feeling that the mainstream media kept reporting on and promoting. Oh, I feel unsafe during a traffic stop. The police may shoot and kill me. The police are just out shooting and killing law-abiding citizens like George Floyd. Oh, the horror! George Floyd was going to save America. Yes, I know he was high on fentanyl. I know he was passing counterfeit dollar bills. I know he was a career criminal. But he was going to save America. We must build a shrine for George Floyd because we feel like he's a hero. What happened? based on those feelings how much violence did we see pour out and destroy america based on that feel you can't build a world based on feelings and so if someone gets confused and looks between their legs and sees two balls and a stick and says, hey, you know what? I feel like a woman. We need to get that person some counseling and help them deal with the reality that they're a man or a boy. Deal with it. You know, I wake up most days feeling like Denzel Washington. I have to deal with the reality that I'm closer to Bookman on good times than Denzel Washington in training day. I have to deal with that reality. I would prefer to be Denzel in training day. But I'm actually Bookman on good times. That may be an old reference to some of y'all, but I think most of you get it if you watch the show Good Times. I don't want a world, well, actually I do, (laughs) world based on my feelings, Lord have mercy, I'd be a happy man, but I don't want that, I prefer to live in reality. I prefer, there's more happiness and fulfillment purpose in living in reality, God's reality. 
than some fake world based on feelings. Maybe that makes me a misogynist pig. I'm willing to deal with that. Call me any name in the book, but you're not going to call me a liar. Lynn in North Carolina. Lynn, welcome to the Glenn Beck radio program. Hey, how are you this morning? Awesome. So I'm not going to call you a misogynist because as I was listening to you, I was thinking about the fact that, and just hear me out before you, (laughs) um, women have never really been safe. If you look back starting at civilization, women have never been safe. You know, there's always been, you know, there, I hate to say this, but we're weaker. So we have always needed a man to protect us as early as cavemen Women have relied on men to be strong leaders to protect us. So we need that. And we're having a society right now where the women who want that can't find it because of all this feeling crap. So women have never been able to just go into battle. That's why you look at our, you know, military rates and stuff. Not as many women enlist. Women are not hungry to defend things the way men are because historically they are the provider and the protector. So the way society is skewing this and this feminist movement is actually devaluing everything that the women are supposed to be. Lynn, let me There's clarify your point. Let me clarify your point if, if, if you don't mind. I'll offer you a little assistance. If you build a weaker man, women are going to become less safe. That's what you're basically arguing. And that's what's happening. And that's what's happening. And women are also trying to stand up and say, we are everything that men are. Well, we were never meant to be. We are a lot of really great things. And we have a lot of really great roles. And there's lots of things that we are a lot better than men at. But protecting and providing isn't necessarily one of those. Providing for our children at home, we excel at that. Um, Protecting when it comes to our children. But that man has always been the first line of defense for women. And a lot of women stopped relying on that and said, I can do it all. Thank you, We were never meant to do it all. Thank you. Great phone call. I got to move on. Jim in New York, be quick, but don't hurry. Yes, I know that saying uh, from John Wooden way back in the day. Oh, I thought I uh, came up with that saying. I'm sorry. No, (laughs) no, be quick, but don't hurry. I was a basketball player. Uh, Jason, I just, number one, I just want to say thank you for speaking the truth. Thank you for getting out. If, for having the the strength and the wisdom and the courage to speak the truth as I watch this slow motion train wreck of a country fall apart and I'll try and be succinct as, as much as I can be, Jason, because I could speak to you all day and I just want to ask you a couple of questions. What I see is the media controls the narrative and they know they can, can, they know they control it. They can say what they want. They can put out what they want. They can say 
boys are girls and girls are boys. They can say religion is for people that believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Democrats don't have to campaign campaign anymore because the the media will will run the show for them and they know it. Um, Jason, I just want to ask you, and now with the Twitter files that came out and the media isn't even covering it, how do we get how do we get a voice to the fifty percent of the people that do not want to hear any of this? And the media, they're not media, they're social activists, and they have their way of seeing what the world is, and we see what it is, and we see what it's doing. So, you know, you know, Jason, they make, they make us all sound like racist. I love my African brothers and sisters. We mostly all love our African brothers. We're not racist. You know, we're not, we're not any of these things. But, you know, I was with my brothers and sisters who all listen to NPR at Thanksgiving time. They don't even know what I'm talking about when I bring some of this stuff up. They don't know anything about, uh, you know, I said, do you guys know who Tony Bobolinsky is? Do you know anything about the Hunter Biden thing? Do you know anything about anything? Nothing. So thank you for being our voice, Jason. And I just ask you, how can we, what can we do when the media controls the entire narrative? Jim, I got to go. I, you're, I'm up against the break. I'll try to answer on the other side. Thank you, Jim. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck Radio Program. I want to tell the last caller and tell the audience. The solution is, if your values, if your worldview is taken from a biblical point of view, never apologize for prioritizing the values that you have above your identity, or someone else's superficial identity. The left builds alliances based off of identities. Oh, are, are, are you gay? We have common ground. I, I, I support gay people, or I'm gay as well. Oh, are you trans? I, I, I support trans, and I might be trans you know, depending on what day of the week it is. Oh, you're black? Oh, I have a Black Lives Matter sign in my front yard, and I'd like to be black. Uh, again, all these superficial identities is what they build alliances around. <clears throat> and, and for a long time, they, they've used that idolatry of identity they they their their sexual preference is their idol their skin color is their idol their gender identity is their idol and those of us with a biblical worldview know that idolatry is at the root of all sin and so build alliances based off of shared values and if you build alliances off of shared values Never apologize. Never apologize. And, and so 
I, I've tried to explain to people that criticize, oh, you know, Jason, because I, I come from the sports world and I talk a lot about my disagreements with LeBron James and some of these other woke athletes who are black. And people, oh, why do you disagree with the black athlete so much? I, was like, I don't disagree with the black athlete. I disagree with LeBron James's leftist, matriarchal, satanic mindset. His worldview is outside of God's natural order and what's prescribed in the Bible. I never hear LeBron James talk about any sort of biblical worldview. We don't have shared values. Many of these athletes wet their finger, stick it on Twitter and see which way the wind is blowing. That's not how I formulate my opinions. I formulate my opinions. I see the world through a biblical lens. I, I, I run my set of views through a biblical lens. And when things violate that biblical lens, I tend to criticize it. So I don't have a problem with anyone's skin color. I do have a problem with people's values. If they're out of line with what I think is best for my neighborhood, for me, for my country, for young people, because the, the values I'm standing on help everybody. Your values may not, and that's why I object to them. I'm Jason Whitlock. This is the Glenn Beck Radio Program. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. One hour left in the program. You're my co-stars today. 1-888-787-2325 is the phone number to call. We've been having a discussion about the direction of America and the whole feminization and the prioritizing of feelings in America and how it leads to all the chaos and destruction and anarchy we have in America. We're going to continue that conversation, but uh, we're going to take a small break and then I'll move our conversation forward and hear from you next. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. Welcome back to the show. Happy Tuesday. <clears throat> to you and yours, we're just five days away from Christmas. Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, I'm going to be out with my reindeer doing a little shopping uh, today, some last-minute Christmas shopping. I want to continue and end on a strong note this conversation we've been having today about the softening, the lack of resistance in America, the degree of difficulty. I started two hours ago talking about the sports world, and I, I'm going to return to the sports world here with this next example. And, and it just goes to how the media now sees itself as the stenographers of the elite and how they work for the powerful and provide the powerful no resistance and how the powerful are allowed to say things 
without ever being challenged. And so I'm going back to the sports world and how we've dumbed down the sports world. Uh, We've made idols of, of these athletes in an inappropriate way. We used to marvel at their athleticism and heroism on the court and on the field. That was okay. We've now transitioned them into influencers and important voices on off the field matters. And it doesn't matter their qualifications. It doesn't matter their lack of sophistication and nuance. We publish what they have to say and treat it as gospel and treat it as profound without any resistance or pushback. And resistance is the key to strength. If you lift weights, you'll get stronger. If you don't lift weights, if there's no resistance, you'll get weaker. We're getting weaker in America. I point to you, Donovan Mitchell, a star guard in the NBA. He's not a household name. Many of you may not know who Donovan Mitchell was, but he's a star in the NBA, played five years for the Utah Jazz, was their best player, is now uh, probably the best player on the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are a very good NBA team. And, and Donovan Mitchell, perennial all-star, played at the University of Louisville, Again, he's in his sixth NBA season, and the ESPN uh, website, Anscaped, which used to be called The Undefeated, uh, did a Q&A, did an interview with Donovan Mitchell where he talked about the difference between playing in uh, Cleveland and playing in Salt Lake City. And so the, the interviewer says, respectfully to Salt Lake City, For you, what is it like leaving a city that had a predominantly white population to one that is predominantly black? Does it remind you more of being back home in New York? By the way, I I believe uh, Donovan Mitchell grew up in a area and went to a high school that I think had three, four percent black student body, but Regardless, we're not going to go there. Here's Donovan Mitchell's response. It's a little comforting for me, 100%. I'm not going to lie about that. It's no secret. There's a lot of stuff that I dealt with being in Utah off the floor. If I'm being honest with you, I never really said this, but it was draining. It was just draining on my energy just because you can't sit in your room and cheer for me and then do all these different things. I'm not saying specifically every fan, but I just feel like it was a lot of things. A Utah State Senator, Stuart Adams, saying I need to get educated on my own black history. Seeing black kids get bullied because of their skin color. Seeing a little girl, Isabella Tensioner, hang herself because she's being bullied. Man, it was just one thing after another. And while, and I will say it, it's not the only place it happens, but for me, I'm continuing to be an advocate for racial equality and to receive the amount of pushback I got over the years. It was a lot. Um, There was something else that he said. Oh, okay. Then the interviewer asked, what hurt the most? It first started when I posted a photo for Juneteenth and it said, free-ish. 
before the NBA bubble and really in the bubble too. People just started nonstop going at me like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. There is injustice everywhere. It's not just black people. I'm just like, y'all have no idea. I took on a lot because I felt like I could do it. But at some point, it became a lot to have to deal with. And then to be able to, to not see many of us in the crowd, I tried my best to make sure I invite young black and brown kids to games to be around the community. But just not to see us there, it definitely was tough. And being in Cleveland now, you see us courtside. It's just refreshing. It's a blessing to be back around people that look like me. But as far as Utah, it became a lot to deal with on a nightly basis. I got pulled over once. I got an attitude from a cop until I gave him my ID. And that forever made me wonder what happens to young black kids in Utah that doesn't have that power to just be like, this is who I am. And that was one of the, the things for me that I took to heart. This, this whole exchange is silly and, 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 and needs pushback and resistance. It would make Donovan Mitchell a smarter, better person. But we've outlawed resistance. We've outlawed it. It's, it's, it's a microaggression. If, if someone, if a Utah State Senator questions Donovan Mitchell about anything, that's a microaggression. It, it's racism. It's draining on Donovan Mitchell. And, oh, black kids got bullied because of their skin color in Utah. According to Donovan Mitchell, I, I, was he at these schools or during basketball? Or is, this, is he seeing this at NBA games? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But, but he now lives in Cleveland. And this again where I say, I don't care about his feelings. Let's deal with facts. Let's deal with facts. I can guarantee you the murder rate for young black boys in Cleveland the murder rate, I'm not talking the sheer number of black men murdered in Cleveland versus Utah. We know that that number will weigh heavily in favor of Cleveland because there's more black people. But just the murder rate, the fear of being murdered for black men, far higher than black men living in Utah. Is that draining? Does Donovan Mitchell... Feel that pain? Does that hurt at him? Is he hurt by that? Is that draining at all? Do you think black kids in Cleveland, you think they don't get bullied? Does that hurt him? Black kids in Cleveland, they don't commit suicide. Does that hurt him? This is silly what he's talking about. And oh my God, he got pulled over in Utah. Did anyone ask for what? Were you speeding? I've gotten pulled over in most states I've ever driven in. I was speeding 99.9% of the time. And I've dealt with bad cops. But there's a way to handle them. And they go away. Frustrated. 
There's no, oh, I wonder, trust me, if they were getting killed, if black kids were getting killed in Utah for speeding and getting pulled over, that would be major news. So Donovan, just assume nothing happens to him. Because if something did, it would be in the paper. But it is far less safe for a young black person in Cleveland than it is in Utah. But no one's going to ask Donovan Mitchell that question, make him defend his statements. They're not going to give him the resistance he needs to become stronger. They're just going to let him make general comments about the state of Utah and talk about how much how much better things are in Cleveland. And that's a joke and a lie. And everybody knows it. But we don't have resistance in this country anymore because we worry about people's feelings. And we want to make everything feel safe for everyone. You make life easier and safer and you're actually making it more chaotic. There must be risks. There must be pushback. People must be made uncomfortable with their stupidity. That's how they get smarter. 1-88-787-2325 is the phone number to call. I want to hear from you when we come back. Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. Let's go to Denise in Florida. Denise says that he's a transgender man and that he disagrees uh, with some of my topics. Denise, welcome to the show. Thank you. How you doing? I respect you and everything that, how you feel and your beliefs. But a couple of points. One, did you ever know that 1.5, and that's the low number because it's never really been uh, taken into full consideration. And 1.5 out of every 200,000 Babies are born dual sex or to some degree dual sex. Also, that everybody tends to think or say that, you know, it's a new phenomenon that's going on and it hasn't been. All right. We've been around since before a white man came to this continent. All right. Just for talking about this continent, the American Indian took and dealt with us very well. And we were considered, you know, to be revered by the American Indian, untouched by Christianity. All right. Christianity also, which I believe is a higher, is a, is a higher being, but everything that I've been taught and I was very religious and I'm 64, and everything that I've ever been taught, right, I have never found anything to deal with since we've been around realistically before Christianity even started. We've, uh, it's never, there's not one place where you can find in the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, the Torah, right, that addresses us and if uh god made a mistake i think he would have put it in there 
right? I had his people put it in there anywhere about that. One, yes, I was born a man. I feel like a woman, right? And feelings, you know, I I knew since age 11 that I'd rather have been born a woman. Also, the aspect of, you know, when we start out in life, we all start out as a female fetus, and then the chromosomes take over and change us to who we're going to be, male or biologically male or female. So with that being said, I can, I can say with being in therapy for five years, all right, I'm doing exactly what I need to do for me. I also don't really like being part of the uh, LGBTQT association. The gays and lesbians, they don't understand us just as well as the rest of society. We've been, uh, if you go back to 19, I think it was 1952, there was a documentary put out and about transgenders even back then. And it, it stated that we start out with these feelings and how we want to be, all right, when we're children. So, Denise, can I, I jump mean, in here and ask a couple of yeah, questions? So my argument is not that you don't have those feelings. My argument is that we can't build a society based around feelings. That 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 I, I can't have a world that's run on feelings and all the laws are set up to match everyone's feelings. And so okay. I, I also, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just want to interject, isn't religion based on feelings? Isn't religion based on feelings? No, I, I think it's based on truth and a collective wisdom that's espoused in the Bible, at least my religion okay. is. Uh, right. And so, how, how well versed are you with the, with the Bible? Excuse me. How well versed are you with your Bible? Oh, I, I would say I, I'm not an expert. I'm not. I'm no sort of biblical scholar. I, I say I'm uh, still I mean, in a learning I'm, process as it relates to the Bible. And everybody else. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm 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 early in my journey, so. Go ahead. I'm no sir. You know, there are people that come on my show that uh, clearly are far more advanced in their scholarship of the Bible than me. Well, I'm, I, you know, because of how I feel, right? I really, really, you know, and today I'm dyslexic. So I have to research three, four times harder than a lot of other people. But thank God for the Internet. And I grew up without it, all right? But I have never been able to find anywhere in the Bible where it dealt with transgenders. We've been around forever. You know, our two-spirit, as the American Indian referred to us, as now, they, that's their new terminology. Denise, uh, I, I, want, I want to hop in one more time. 
and asked you to stick around through the break because there's a couple of more questions I'd like to ask you. Is that okay? We'll hear more from Denise on the other side of this break. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. You're listening to The Right Station, The Right Show, The Right Channel. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck Radio Program. We're going to return to my conversation with Denise, a man in Florida who is a transgender woman who's called to disagree with me about uh, some of what I've been saying on today's show. Denise, I want to go back to you said something about the Indians, Native Americans, revered the transgender uh, population. Did, did I hear you right on that? Yes. A lot of times uh, transgenders become healers or spiritual people because they understood both sides of the man-woman. Gotcha. Uh, and so my, 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 my question was, and, and I don't think you believe this, but I just want to know, you don't believe that transgender people should be revered, do you? No, uh, I think, well, we we tend to, the, the, the one thing that I do go along with is we tend to, be, you know, we can understand more both sides of uh, the man-woman. Got you, but again... It, I, I I don't I there's there's virtu- there's no man, woman or human being that I I want to revere. I think idolatry is is a problem, and, and I think that part of what we've gone into as it relates to the LGBTQ movement and and this whole diversity, inclusion, and equity thing is like th- there are these subsets of people. Oh, if you're gay, you should be revered and given a special level of reverence for your opinion oh if you're black there's a special reverence for your opinion if you're x y and z and so that mentality of hey i deserve a special level of reverence and respect i think is problematic and and i'm not just laying that on transgenders i'm saying i see it across the board people that i understand you know I I, I want I I I I appreciate everything that you have to say. Uh, I was watching one thing with Morgan Freeman, and uh, he was being interviewed. And Morgan Freeman was asked, "Hey, what are you doing for Black History Month?" Morgan Freeman replied, "Nothing." Debate. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but he said, "As soon as we can just look at each other as humans." not black, not white, not Morgan Freeman, the black actor, just I'm Morgan Freeman, right? Then we will resolve a lot of issues. And I I totally respect that, and I believe that's what you, you sort of drive towards. Yeah, and so the, the other aspect of question I want to ask, and I know that part of your difference would be that you would argue like, hey, I was born this way. And, 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 and so I understand that and get it. Uh, 
but as for a, a society to function properly, I, I just don't know if we can cater to tiny, small subsets of the population. And so, and again, I know the difference of you feeling like you were born this way, and, and I'm not even disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that, that me as a fat person, I, I'm watching people try to move the, the curve on that and say, oh, well, you know, we're fat shaming and society needs to change up things to make it more accommodating for fat people. And I don't think that's proper. I, I, I think that society has to make rules that are fair to the overwhelming majority of people and those of us with a certain set of challenges, obstacles, uh, issues, we have to deal with what's best for the overall society. So I would never say to Southwest Airlines, hey, you need to build wider seats. I would say to myself, and I have said to myself, no, Jason, you need to lose weight. You, you need to conform and deal with whatever challenges there are. And, and people are born with a lot of different challenges. Some people are born without a hand or missing fingers or maybe blind. Or th th There are a set of challenges that the world will give, God will give to people, and, and we can't then change up all the rules because there's a small number of people that are born blind there's a small number of people that are born with type 1 diabetes. There's just challenges that we're all given. It's not that I'm unsympathetic to your challenge. I'm sympathetic towards my challenge of being overweight. And I'm sympathetic to people that are born with diseases or maladies or deformities. But in order for a society to operate properly, we have to make rules that work for the most people. And if we start trying to segment things out, it's fun. It's, it's to, hey, we got to make it perfect for Rachel Levine and Sam Britton. I, I just I just don't believe in that. Yeah, I don't believe that there's, uh, in our lifetime, there's not going to be, you know, uh, room for that, but I hope that in the future, all right, that people can be more courteous and understanding of other people's plights. doesn't mean that when, okay, here's an example. So if somebody comes to me and they go, sir, you know, and they only do it, you know, once, because I don't pass at all, right? Uh, I, I, I go, well, I prefer ma'am, you know, if they keep on calling me sir, because, you know, there's a certain level where you understand that they're doing it to annoy you, right? And I just go, hey, I prefer being called ma'am, but if you don't want to do that, I would like to ask you to address me by my first name or not to address gender whatsoever. I said, 
because they got up to the point of annoying me. Uh, and I know that was their point, so I just bring up my point. I don't want to force anybody to call me man, right? But at the same token, if I'm out in a dress and everything, they don't have to address gender whatsoever, right? And that's more what I strive for is just courtesy. And I get that, and I've had people that like I, I you have named yourself, call yourself Denise, and I'm going to be very respectful of that. We have a right to give ourselves names. Parents give us names. We give ourselves names. And I, I feel like we have a right to respect that. I, I would probably tend to land on, I'm going to consider you a man. Uh, but again, you're right. I can just call you Denise. I don't have to uh, rub my interpretation of you in your face that I could see where you would think that's disrespectful. But I, I've seen people get upset with me even for like, why call him Denise? His mother called him Dennis and you should call. And I'm like, nah, people have a right to call themselves whatever they want. But I, I tend not to play the pronoun game because, right. and again, that that's, I, I believe God, go ahead. Yeah, I reject that entirely. Okay, everybody, everybody is, you know, uh, I can't think of the word. Everybody has the right to feel the way they feel about anything. All right, and I want people to voice their opinion, just some capable of voicing mine. Well, uh, and along with that. I don't go along that a lot of people today are doing stuff for transgenders. They're not transgender. They try to get things, you know, done for us, and they're hurting us more than they're helping us, right? Because they feel that they should, you know, do this or do that. And we, we come along in society, right? And you got to be quick. You got about 20 seconds left, Denise, and then I got to go to break. All right. So when when the Americans were invaded, they automatically went after they went after transgenders in the in the, in the Indian population, right? So they wiped us they they wiped us out in the American Indian groups. We were the first ones to get hit. So I don't. I don't want help. I just want to be left to do the things I want to do in America. And I think the Constitution protects me. All right. And Denise, I got to let you go. I'm up against it. I really appreciate the phone call. Thank you so much. I hope that I was respectful. Uh, we'll come back, wrap things up. Takes a few more phone calls. Renee, Dennis, Joe, hang tight. Seven eight seven. No, one eight eight seven eight seven two three two five is the phone number to call. I'm Jason Whitlock sitting in for Glenn Beck. Stay informed. Sign up for the free newsletter today at glennbeck.com.
Jason Whitlock, final segment of the show. I wish I had budgeted my time better. I wanted to go off on Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, and her comments about January 6th being the worst attack on democracy since the Civil War. I'll save that for later. I'm very disappointed with myself that I I didn't get there. Hey, I want to tell you guys how you can give me some feedback. You can go to Twitter, at WhitlockJason, at WhitlockJason. I want you to do the same thing we did yesterday. I want you to copy at Elon Musk and tell him, hey, man, I just spent the last two days listening to Jason Whitlock fill in for Glenn Beck on the Glenn Beck radio program. And Jason Whitlock should be running Twitter. He's the perfect CEO for Twitter. He's man enough. He's got the balls. He's got the proper worldview. He's got the journalism background. He's untethered uh, to any political ideology. He's going to be fair. He has the right values. Perfect to run Twitter. At Whitlock Jason and at Elon Musk. Copy both of us. Do it right now. I'm dead serious about wanting to run Twitter because it's important for free speech. It's important for democracy. And it needs someone like me who's not afraid of the FBI, the Department of Justice, looks forward to being persecuted. Be a sign that I'm on the right path. All right, I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple more phone calls before we get out of here. And we'll move on tomorrow. I won't be here. Glenn Beck will have a different Christmas present for you. Not named Jason Whitlock, but Renee in New York. You've been waiting patiently. Renee, welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, It's been an honor to have you and listen to you. Um, I think it's very important for everyone to recognize that we've been lied to about marijuana and marijuana legalization, cannabis, THC across our country. Um, We've been lied to and we've been told that the reasons for legalization is we're going to stop crime, which is a lie. Um, It brings up violence, paranoia, schizophrenia, and many of the mass murderers, including Nicholas Cruz, um, were under the influence of marijuana at the time of their crime, Um, cartels. Um, and I've, I've taught, I work with so many mothers whose children have committed suicide under the influence of high-potency marijuana. In addition, we've been lied to, and we have been told that we are, oh, the African-American community, uh, people who've been arrested in jail, which is untrue anyway, uh, generally speaking, for marijuana. Um, we're going to help them by have them uh, own cannabis stores. Well, first of all, across the country, it's only about 2% ownership. But the real truth is that in many neighborhoods, um, in African-American inner-city, lower-income neighborhoods, um, they, um, they have up to eight times the amount of marijuana stores and alcohol stores helping to destroy the neighborhood, addiction, crime. Um, and so it, it's, it's very dangerous. And during the lockdowns, I'm sure you remember, churches were closed, but 
marijuana stores, cannabis stores, and alcohol stores were considered they had to be open. So I think it's very important that people learn about this. And um, Colorado has been destroyed. California, cartels have taken over. Um, and um, very, very violent drug at... Renee, remember when- great job. I got to go. It's been awesome. I want to thank you guys. And Renee makes an excellent point. They have lied to us about marijuana. All right, I'm Jason Whitlock. You've been listening to the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program.